Good morning, church. Okay, this side's awake a little bit. Good morning, church. Just check. If I got to be awake for this, y'all got to be awake too. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 3, and we're going to finish the chapter today. I was telling Dave or Joey or somebody earlier that as I was studying this this week, I got through this first section, I thought, man, I could do like a whole Sunday on that, and then I said, well, I'm going to shorten it down so we can do the whole thing, and I got to the next part, and I said, well, I could do a whole, boil down, I got like 38 years worth of stuff in this one chapter, but we're going to do it today. So when you get there, say amen, Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. We'll stop right there for right now. Life's tough, ain't it? We got stuff happen at it, happening to us all day long, all night long. Seems like as soon as we get everything figured out, boom, something comes out of left field and baps us right on the side of the head. You know, we think, okay, we got all this figured out, and, and now my life is going to be great. I got the job I've been working on, you know, trying to get for such a long time, so I'm not going to have all this, you know, new money coming in that I didn't have before, and so all my bills will be taken care of. And then, boom, life hits us. The car breaks down. There's all that newfound money gone out the window. Or, you know, you get everybody doing good in your household, and then all of a sudden, boom, somebody gets sick. And nowadays, people don't just get sick a little bit. They get sick to the point of death, it seems like. Uh, My father passed when I was 30 years old from cancer. He was diagnosed right before Thanksgiving and passed on the following March. My mother passed just a few years ago. Kim's mother passed just like all of a sudden. Her and her, her and uh, her dad were in a motel doing, you know, working out of town, and she falls in the bathroom and just gone to be with Jesus like right then. And that's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is receive that phone call and then go to my wife's work and tell her that her mother had passed. So I understand what it's like to have loss. I know what it's like for people to be sick in your family. I know what it's like to have a child hit by a car for no good reason. Uh, Life happens to us all. And we have a couple of ways of dealing with it. And the title of this sermon, what's the title of this sermon? Don't quit, I think. But it should say, don't give up until the miracle happens. Because what we seem to forget as Christians 
You know, when we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, I want you to live my heart. I want you to change my life from the inside out. I want to be more like you. And then we come with this expectation sometimes that my life is going to be perfect and better and easy. And I've seen it with many, many Christians. I probably thought that in my own life a long time ago. But nowhere in this word does it promise an easy life for Christians. Nowhere in here does it show an example that, that we don't experience bad things. The question often comes up when there's an illness in the family or death in the family or loss of a job or, or, or whatever the many things that, that affect our lives is, is why is God doing this to me? If y'all haven't said it, you've heard somebody say it. And the thing is, why aren't we looking for the, where God is working in those things when they happen to us? It's real easy to blame God for everything. And, and we do. As, as the world blames God, we blame God. The world doesn't even know him. But we're caught up in what the world thinks. And the world, and the one that rules it, is a liar. And we've known that from the very beginning. And in the very beginning, when Eve was deceived by the enemy, he didn't tell her all kinds of tricky stuff. He questioned the character of God by saying, did he really tell you that you would die if you ate from the fruit of that tree? He questioned the character of God. And ever since that day, that's when sin entered into the world, mankind has been questioning the character of God. Do we believe God is God? Amen? Do we believe he's all-powerful? Did he create the heavens and the earth? The seas and the mountains and all the fish therein. I'll say it preacher style. And all the fish therein. <laughs> and we question him about some little thing happening in our lives. I mean... Throughout history, he has shown over and over and over again his faithfulness. He has done everything he said he would do. And I can't say that I've done everything I said I would do, like ever. There's a couple of things around my house that I've promised to fix. And my wife knows not to nag me every six months. I'm going to get to them. You get the t-shirt. I'm with Bill after this is over. <laughs> but we, we do a lot of belly aching, and, and we forget to sit down and count our blessings. We forget to ask in the midst of the storm, God, how are you going to use this? In what way am I going to be a better servant in your kingdom? Usually our prayer is, when will this ever be over? I can't get through it. I can't. I can't stand it anymore. And, and some people go to the extent of just running away from God. And the Bible tells me here that he's, he loves us and he's disciplining us. And they use the example of your children. And I'm thinking as I studied this, this is a weird example because nowadays, well, since the time we had children, since the time I was a child, discipline is, is I hate to use the word evolved, but it's changed. And I know there's nothing new under the sun and so this has probably happened in every generation going back to the very first one. But when I was a kid, if I disobeyed, 
I got a whooping. And that taught me two things. One, either don't do that thing anymore, or two, don't get caught. I specialized in the second as much as possible. Because the things I usually got whipped for are something I wanted to do. Therefore, I figured they were fun, and, you know. And the story goes on. But nowadays we have the timeout where the child misbehaves and we put them in the or there's stand in the corner. Uh, there's withholding allowance. There's uh, what else? What else do we do, young people with children? Drowning. That's oh, I said drowning's a little extreme. We weren't quite that bad when I was growing up. Who was that? I want to. <laughs> we need to talk. Grounding. Now, one thing that is true with disciplining of our children all throughout history is the child never agrees with the punishment. Can we safely say that? I actually remember saying, probably on more than one occasion is the reason I remember it, when I grow up, I'm never going to whip my kids. If they behave like you do, you will. (laughs) But we don't realize that we're going through stuff because everybody goes through stuff. He makes the point here, who, who among us have suffered enough to shed blood? Christianity has it so easy in the United States of America, it is unbelievable. Um, I read something this week that said there were, I can't remember the exact number, so I'm going to throw one out that I know is low. Like there are 300 missionaries a year going out into the world that are dying for the cause of Christ. I would say nobody's ever threatened to unfriend me on Facebook, but I'm not on that. But, you know, some of us could be unfriended for our beliefs. Now, that doesn't sound real bloody to me. I mean, that, it's easy to be brave on a computer screen or on your phone. But how easy is it to be brave when, when life is slapping you in the face and, and, and you say, I, I trust God? I mean, when everything's going good, it's easy to trust God, isn't it? When the job's going well, when we just got a, got a raise, when we just made a good grade on our test, or whenever, you know, we get the good news of a new baby, and when the baby comes and it's such a delight until it doesn't sleep at night for the first six months, that delight turns into delirium from lack of sleep. And I've been through all those things. But when we're caught up in the moment of life happening to us, how often do we think about God and what his purpose is in our lives? I'm going to say probably not as much as it should, as we should. I know it's true in my life, but the thing that becoming an elderly gentleman brings to you is a little perspective. I remember not liking history in school, and that was for two reasons. One, it was old and done with, and I saw no reason for it. Two, I had, you know, all the history teachers were coaches, and they were terrible teachers. I speak the truth from up here. Uh, Another issue we have in the church today, we have pastors and pulpits that are not foundationally sound or believing in what this says. You get them coming in here like, well, I believe this part, but, you know, this part over here is a metaphor. Or I believe in this part, but it was only true for that particular point in history. The devil says, 
Did he say you would really die? I was taught growing up that this is the inerrant word of God. Let every man be called a liar, or let God be telling the truth, every man a liar. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, you know, because in the last two, three years, we've had science thrown in our face, and then the science seems to change every day. And so I started looking it up. And, and it, growing up, I loved science. I thought it was cool to do the little experiments, you know, and the, and the lab things, and the, you know, and the things with frogs and dissecting and stuff, you know, because every teenage boy wants to do that because it's weird and it's gross, but you had to pretend it wasn't gross because you had to be cool. <clears throat> but, you know, we were taught to believe science and stuff, and our church is teaching us to believe this. And then they try to make it a hybrid of what they teach us and from kindergarten on up through the college, the graduate degrees, that it's about what man can do. It's what man can think. It's what man can rationalize. It's what man can deliver on his own. It's what man can build with his own hands. When all throughout this book, it's not about what I can do of my own power or my own intellect. It's what God can do using my hands and my mind. And the more I study this and the more I read this, the more I am convinced that mankind knows nothing. Now, there's, there's a lot of good places. God created our brain power. He created our will to build things. He created our, our will to learn things. He created our, our desire to discover new things. He created all those things for a purpose. And every purpose that we have, I want you to hear me on this one. Every purpose we have, Christian, is one thing. We do what we do to glorify God. Anything else, if we're not glorifying God, doesn't mean a thing. And so if we don't have that mindset that everything I do is to glorify God, then when these traumas of life, when these trials of life hit us, and we start blaming God instead of looking how we can glorify him or how he is glorifying himself in the time of the trial, then we're never going to get it right. We're going to be depressed. We're going to be anxious. We're going to be worried. We're going to be sick because we're not trusting this all-powerful God that we all say we believe in. But what if we do? What if we start trusting just a little bit? Why should science come in here and try to prove this correct. God says his word is true. So I'm going to default to God knows because he created everything. And we're just trying to catch up a little bit. There is no telling what we're going to find out when we get to the other side of heaven. Our eyes are going to be opened and we're going to see things like Oh, man, I should have seen that coming. Or so that's how that works. Or so that's what that means. And we're going to be in such dumbfounded awe all the time that, you know, I can, I can see in eternity as, as, as this new knowledge is, is given to us. And, and God's saying, you know, if you'd have done this, this, and this, and this, like I said, you would have known some of this before you came, and you could have brought some more people with you. See, heaven's a big party, y'all. You want all your friends to come, and even the ones that aren't your friends yet. But sometimes we hold our faith as a private thing. Anybody ever said that? Well, what's your relationship with Jesus? Well, that's kind of a private thing. No, it ain't. What have you been smoking? 
Your relationship with Jesus should show up in everything you do and say and, and even in the places you go. Uh, I said it before a few weeks ago, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little mouth what you say. We should practice what, it, what our kids' song says. Because too often we think, well, God doesn't really care so much about that, you know, as long as I go to church on Sunday. Yeah, he does. Because some of those things that we're seeing and saying and hearing do not glorify him. And one of the biggest enemies of Christianity today, gosh, y'all are quiet. One of the biggest enemies of Christianity today is us, is the Christians. Because people see, well, you know, they go to South Point Church and they go to Southern Thrills Church and they go to that church and and. I don't see any difference in them on Monday through Friday at work than, than I live. That's what the world sees. And, and there's got to be a difference in us. That difference has got to be Jesus living in us and transforming our lives. And if we let him to transform us from the inside out, and somebody says, says Bill, why are you different? And you say, I guess God made me this way. And what if people think he's nuts? They're right. Because the way we believe is foolishness to the world. They can't have faith. They, can't, they have to blame knowledge. They have to blame intellect. They have to blame science. They have to blame disease. They have to blame something else. When the whole thing boils down to is obedience to God has its trials. It has its glories. Everything that we walk through, everything that we go through, everything that we survive... God is being glorified in it somehow, someway, somewhen. And we do not always see it. When Kim and I were in Yellowstone a couple of weeks ago, there was, a, there was three signs by the coffee machine, which you know i got to find the coffee machine wherever I go. And one of them had a burned-in picture of a deer or an elk, and it said, hunt. Then the next one, next plaque down, was a burned-in picture of a fish leaping out of the water, and it said, fish. And then the third one was a burned-in picture of a bear, and it said, Run. The world's the bear. The world's trying to eat us. We need to run from the world and run to Jesus and rest in his arms. He's the rock that we build on. He's the rock of our foundation. He's, he's the rock. Can't break a rock. I'm going to go back to the word. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we go through those trials and we go through those tribulations, when we go through those tough times in life, and when we search our hearts and search, God, what am I supposed to learn going through this? And when we do those things, what happens is, is we go through those things differently than the world does. And what the world sees in us is somebody that overcomes. So they use the word over, overcame and overcome and conquers, more than conquers in the Bible. The reason that's there is because there's stuff we got to conquer. There are things in life that we have to overcome. And the way we do that is trusting in this God. And even if we didn't trust him in the moment of our trials, when we get through to the other side and look back with the perspective of an elderly gentleman, such as myself, and say, wow, I see where God was moving in this way because... Because of this, then I see where that fell in and that fell in and that fell in and that fell in and that fell in. And sometimes it's a span of, of 10, 20, 30 years before you can see the fruit of the righteousness that it's talking about here in verse 11. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so as we get time and perspective and we see, wow, we went through that with our kids. Wow, we went through that with our parents. We went through that with our church. We went through that with our friends. And then it, God walked with us. God showed us the way through. God never promises it to be easy, but he will promise to walk through with us. Every time. Verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's going back to the analogy of the race. When you're, and he's talking about run the race that's set before you. When you're running a race, if you're running a long-distance race, I don't run. I believe in the internal combustion engine. Some battery-powered to an extent. But when you run a long ways, which I did once in another century, as you get tired, your arms start not pumping quite as high, and your knees get a little wobbly, and you're wondering, when is the finish line coming? Anybody ever done that? Sometimes it looks so far away. Sometimes we can't see the finish line. And that's why this tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because he's already done it all for us. He's already finished the race. And we're just essentially along to bring as many to the party as we can. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather than healed. Uh, another analogy from racing. If you're in the relay things, you know, everybody's got a lane. Is that right, Ryan? Wherever you are. There's, there's a lane. And if you get out of your lane, bad things can happen. You can run into the guy that's racing next to you. Or you can get tripped up. You can fall down. He's saying keep your eyes on where you're supposed to be running to. See, we're all running, I think. I think some of us are running from stuff. And some of us are running to something. And we need to ensure, we need to make sure, we need to be positive that we're running in the right direction, that we're running towards Jesus. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. I like to pick a fight. Is that true, wife? I'm getting better at not picking fights. But some days you get up and you just, you just feel like a fight. When I grew up, we fought. My brother and I, we fought. We fought. You know, if I couldn't fight my brother, I'd fight somebody on the playground. And I wasn't any good at it, so don't get me wrong there. I, I was pretty terrible at it. So I had my share of bloody lips and bloody noses and black eyes. But there was something in me that made me want to fight until I realized that I was horrible at it. That was before kung fu and karate and all that stuff. 
But then I learned to fight with words and with my mind. And, and sometimes words can be very hurtful. And I can say stuff. There you are. You didn't help me out on the racing thing. Uh, sometimes we can pick a fight with words that are way worse than, than, than a fist fight. And sometimes what's even worse than picking a fight with words and is ignoring somebody. Nobody wants to be ignored. Nothing, I don't, there's not many things that can be more hurtful than, than somebody to say, hi, and then they just walk by without saying anything. Anybody ever feel like that? And sometimes we get a big mad going because somebody dissed us like that. And there's a couple of things to say about that. Sometimes somebody didn't hear you when you said hi. And we can build a whole big non-peaceful resentment towards somebody when they did not or could not hear you. I'm preaching to myself up here. We've all had our feelings hurt by somebody that did not respond in the way we thought they should respond. Because it's not enough just to respond to my greeting, but you need to respond the way I think you should respond. Because after all, it's all about me. Oh, wait. That's not what they told me. It's about Jesus. I got to remember it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I need to show some grace to somebody that may not have heard me say, Hi, Josh. I need to show the grace to somebody that was so focused on what they were doing that they were oblivious. Anybody know somebody like that that gets tunnel vision on what they're doing, thinking or saying or trying to figure out, and the whole the marching band of the world can go by and they won't know it. Passing out $100 bills and they won't know it. If you honk and wave at my wife driving down, when she's driving down the street, she don't know it. You could be clothed in $100 bills and them falling off. She don't know it. She is going home or wherever she goes. You can't get mad at somebody because of how they are, how God made them. And I can't cause dissension in the church because of a perceived hurt or a perceived slight. But I want to make peace. And the way we do that in the church, according to Matthew 18, say, hey, I said hi to you the other day, and, and you didn't say nothing back. You hurt my feelings. And then you find out, I'm sorry, I just got some bad news about this, that, and the other. And, and I apologize. I never would hurt you on purpose. And I think I can honestly, safely say that there's not a person in this room that would on purpose, intentionally hurt another person in this room. We're not like that. I hope everybody in here was greeted this morning by more than one person. I did not get to see, greet every single person in here because some of y'all snuck in, and that's okay. And if you would like to see me, I'll be standing either at that door or that door, whichever way the tide carries me when that time comes. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become, many become defiled. That bitterness, that comes up from us getting booty hurt for no good reason. 
I can say that because I'm not a professionally trained preacher. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Sexually immoral. The Bible is full of the sexual immorality. I heard a wise man say one time that gave me pause to think. And it was Phil Robertson, the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty, Duck Commander of the Duck Calls. Anybody seen that show? He said that if mankind had followed God's law about sexual behavior from the very beginning, there would be no STDs today and a host of other diseases because they could not exist. If we followed God's plan on everything he's got in here, this world would look a whole lot different than it does now. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, this is verse 17, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears and a tempest. And, oh, I skipped all the way a bunch. So he sought it with tears. When it's too late, it's too late. As long as we have breath on this planet, as long as we have breath, we have the opportunity to come to Jesus. We have the opportunity to allow him to change us from the inside out. We have the perfect chance, church. To be willing, to be willing to let God change us. I would submit even this much. Try to be willing, to be willing to let God change one thing today. If you're like me, you've had a long list of things God needed to change in my life. And he's checking them off slowly. All right, we got this one. Got that. We're still working on this one, Bill. Not you, Bill, this bill. And I need to be willing to let him have the whole list. But it's hard, y'all. Verse 18, he's going to, what, what the writer does here, he uh, pretty much repeats what happened back during the Exodus when Moses was taking the Israelites from, from Egypt into the promised land. And there was a time there where they encountered God on the mountain. And this is one of the times when God wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets and gave them to Moses. And this encounter would be pretty freaky if you were there, if you were one of the Israelites. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. God spoke from that mountain with fire, darkness, gloom, so I'd be clouds, tempest, a storm, sound of trumpets, voice with words made that, the hear, that were so intimidating and loud or that made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. So like, God, God, don't talk to me, don't talk, please, 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 I don't want to hear it no more. Anybody ever had somebody going to tell you a hor- horrible story? You just go, ah, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. That's how the children of Israel were when God was speaking on the mountain. <laughs> And he told them, he said, you got to keep everybody back from this mountain. God told Moses, Moses told them, y'all stay back. Rocks are going to fall down. You touch the mountain, you die. And maybe they believed it, maybe not. But I think when the mountain started shaking and trembling, the storm started coming, the lightning started hitting, and the trumpet started sounding on the mountain, and they start hearing all this stuff, they're thinking, oh, I don't want to hear it no more. I'm not going to touch that mountain. I promise I'm not going to touch that mountain 
Verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. For if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, and he's talking about us, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. That means party. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Okay, who is he talking about there? The firstborn, us. We were born, we accepted the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. The other ones, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's all the guys we talked about last week. Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, all those judges. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where's my cool part? Verse 22, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who, were warned, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Okay, we're being warned today. We've been told who this Jesus is. We have eyewitness testimony about the life, the trial, the death, and the resurrection of this Jesus. This book has been around a long, long, long time. This book has not changed ever. The message that this book tells to mankind today is the same today as the first time it was put in print. It's the same today as Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's the same message today. Twenty-five, see that you do not refuse him. Twenty-six, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There's another shaking coming on. Not a Jerry Lee Lewis song, a whole lot of shaking going on. There's some more shaking going to happen. There's shaking going on even now as, as new wars and factions pop up in the world, as new diseases pop up, as new, uh, it's really not new, but we're seeing things come to the surface that we had not noticed before. And we see the world attacking Christianity. We see Christianity defiling this book and saying, well, maybe this is true, maybe not true. Maybe they're taking this book and they're just saying, well, I don't like this page, so I'll just tear it out. That was my order of worship. That wasn't my Bible, y'all. <laughs> don't worry. No lightning. But that's what it is. You know, if you can believe this part but not this other part, let's just tear that out and just throw it away. I got a feeling that there's nobody in here that would, would throw away a Bible. We can't throw away a Bible. How many in here would throw away a Bible? Nobody? God will get you if you throw away your Bible. You know, sometimes the Bible gets so worn out <clears throat> that you have to retire it and get a new one. But sometimes, and I heard this story from somebody who was in a prison ministry, that somebody had a Bible in, in the jail or the prison, wherever it was, and, and it was falling apart. And somebody had pitched it in the trash, and then part of it fell out, 
And the guy that was taking out the trash, the prisoner, had picked it up and he started reading it. And I think it was part of the book of John. Anyway, it got him curious, so he goes to the prison library and checks out the book and reads the whole thing of John. So if you throw it away, trust God that his word's not going to come back void, that somebody's going to read it. We don't throw them away either, so no judgment there. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What is this kingdom that will not be shaken? What is this kingdom you speak of? That's the kingdom of God that lives within each one of us. And he wants this kingdom to grow. And it's got to grow right here first. It's a contagious thing. It's, it's, it's got to take root and it's got to grow. And I've got to, I've got to water and I've got to plant it. And, and I water it and I plant it with this and with prayer and coming in fellowship with like-minded people and learning from you and y'all learning from me. And this thing grows. And what it does is it makes me become. And I go through the trials and the tribulations. And I go through the life. And it makes me get through them and I become a better person because of it. Because God was glorified in whatever he did in each one of those situations. And when that makes me a better person, that makes me a better husband. And when that makes me a better husband, it makes me a better father. And when it makes me a better husband and father, then my wife sees that and she wants to become a better wife. And she becomes a better wife and a better mother. And our kids see that and they want to become better children. They want to be examples maybe like mom and dad. Not in the first years, but in the latter years when mom and dad start figuring things out a little bit better. And then when our kids start getting that thing. And then we see our friends in the workplace and our friends at school. And the people we see in the grocery store. And they say, something's different about you. And so, well, I don't know. I was, but I read this in the Bible the other day. And it was a pretty cool verse. And it really spoke to me. And we can use little segues like that. And it's continuing to change us from the inside out. And it also has an effect on who we come into contact with. And when we come into contact with the world and they see there's something different in you, if they see something that... when The world sees the trouble we're in. And they see how the Christian walks through on the other side, transformed, changed, looking for God's glory in it, showing God's glory in it, professing God's glory in whatever it was he walked us through. And they say, I could never have done that. And say, yes, you can. All you need is this Jesus we've been talking about. And if you can't say that, if it's not in your repertoire to be, to be vocal in sharing what God has done for you, what you can do is say, well, I go to South Point Church. Come and see. We've got people to teach Bible study. And they study a lot on it. They spend a lot of time. Come and see. And, and you can ask questions. And you can have interaction. You can hear. And you can learn about this Jesus that's changed my life. And he wants to change your life. And then too often we hear, eh, maybe not today. And too often we say to Jesus, we as Christians, maybe not today. I want you to volunteer in the kids section. Maybe not today. I want you to teach a Sunday school class. Yeah, Jesus, maybe not today. I want you to play on the praise team. Eh, maybe not today. I want you to sweep the church. Maybe not today. I want you to work in the sound ministry. Maybe not today. If everybody says maybe not today, we don't have anybody. But when we work in the kingdom, when we have a relationship with Jesus, 
We should be looking at the, this church in our community saying, you know, somebody ought to do that. Everybody in here said that before, right? Somebody ought to do that. It'd be nice if somebody did that. Yes, it would. How about you? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If we get this Jesus in our lives, transforming us, and no matter what the world throws at us, and they can say, yeah, what about this? What about that? What about these doctors over here? What about these scientists over there? Say, I don't know about that, but I know what Jesus did for me. I know where he took me from, where he brought me to, and I know where he's taking me because my eyes are at the end on the prize that is Jesus and I'm not going to stop running this race. I'm not going to quit before the miracle happens. And that's what this message is about. Life is hard. And it's never been promised to be easy. But he will, we will get through. And we'll get through with the glory, to the glory, and by the glory of God. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you are God and we are not. I pray for each person here, Lord, that you would just open their eyes and their ears and their hearts and their minds, that they would receive this message from you today, that as we enter this time of, of prayer and worship, that you would just be with us, and that you would make us unafraid and unashamed, and make us realize that everything is to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.